0: the congregation doesn't know it, but I'm waiting more than they are. We just pray that you will bless us now with your word. That you will open to us an understanding of your great love for us. And of your mercy. We just pray, Father, that you would be here now by your Holy Spirit. To bless each and every person in this room that they will not fall short of seeing heaven for themselves, but that they will reach out with all that they have, that they will step out and get on the path, and that they will follow the Savior, their perfect guide. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How would you like it if someone came to you, wherever you might be, maybe at home or someplace, but you hope not here, someone came to you and said, I have something to say to you. And you say, okay. And, and then you say, what is it? You're kind of hesitant, aren't you? I have something to say to you. Well, God told me To tell you. Now for us in these modern days. When we don't have an active prophet. In the church. That God actually speaks to and tells us things. We would probably just go. God told you. Yeah I got it. But if you were living in the time of David. And in walked the prophet. And he says David. David. God told me to tell you something. And David would look at the prophet and he would say, Wait, wait. Don't say anything. God and I have already talked about it. I know God knows. I know. That God knows what I'd done. And the prophet Nathan would say, David, I need to tell you. God told me to tell you, I'm going to tell you. And he tells him a story. He tells him a story about a rich man that had a big flock and a poor man that had one lamb that he had raised. And sometimes we miss that whole story, and we don't quite understand exactly what it's talking about. And this rich man that had this big flock had a visitor come to visit him. And when the visitor came to visit, the rich man thought, I'm going to have a nice big dinner for him. And so I want to kill a lamb. And because he was rich and wealthy, beyond means, could just have a lamb anywhere he wanted it. Yet, for some devious reason, he decides that he is going to his neighbor that has that one lamb that the neighbor's been raising, and he is going to take that lamb and use it for his feast. And that's exactly what he does. And when Nathan got done, he said, what do you think we ought to do? He said, I think we ought to take that man and throw him in jail. Going over there and taking that little lamb from that poor man. And then he said those crucial words. You are the wealthy man. For you have stolen Uriah's wife. And you have committed adultery. And you have murdered Uriah. How would you like that to happen to you? How many of you want to be in the kingdom of heaven? How many would like to have a God that you serve that loves you so much that he would send a prophet to you to tell you your worst sins So that you could confess them to Him. And you could ask for repentance. And you could be saved. How many now? What a God. But you have to understand the story. You see the wealthy man had God's many. He had all the God's money would buy him. But the poor man had one lamb. That he was raising. Himself. And that lamb was the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And in that economy, he needed that lamb. For if he sinned, he needed to bring a lamb to the sanctuary and confess his sins over the lamb and take the life of the lamb. But he can no longer do that now because that lamb had been stolen by another. David says in Psalms 51, isn't that terrible? Making you get your Bible out of the pew, move around a little bit, turn to Psalms 51. David has been talking to God about this problem. He knew it was wrong the moment he did it. And it just compounded and got worse and worse until he killed Uriah. It just got so bad that David was on the brink of losing his own life. And so David talked to God. And David said, have mercy upon me, O God. I love the next part. According to your steadfast love. Would you trust yourself to God? He says, according to your love, you have mercy on me. I'm in your hands, God. Do what you want to do. I am your son. I am your servant. I am your child. Do with me as you want to do. I I just give myself up to your love. According to your steadfast love, according to the multitude of your tender mercies and loving kindnesses, blot out my transgressions. Now, would you like to have an answer? You've just told God, blot out my transgressions. What, is, what, what, are you, what answer are you hoping for? Are you hoping that God will say, I have blotted out your transgressions? Let's see if God really says that somewhere. Let me see if we can find someplace. Hadn't thought of that before. Hmm. Oh, it's found in Isaiah. The answer: Isaiah 44:22. 44, 22. 44, 22. David cries out, blot out my transgression. And God answers. And he says, I have blotted out as a thick cloud your transgressions and as a cloud your sins return to me for I have redeemed you. Thank you, Jesus. All through the scriptures, there are questions like this being asked. And there are answers in the Bible to those questions. And so he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to the multitude of your tender mercies and loving kindness. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly and repeatedly from my iniquity and my guilt. Cleanse me. Make me wholly pure from my sin. What does 1 John 1, 9 say? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that an answer to what David is praying? He goes on and he says something really important for you and I to understand. He says... For I am conscious of my transgressions, I acknowledge them, and my sin is ever before me. Why is his sin ever before him? Because there is someone that we call the accuser of the brethren. And what is the job that this person is taking upon themselves? Pointing out all of our bad spots, right? All of our sins, all of our mistakes. Now, how does this person know all my my mistakes, all my sins, all my bad points? How does he know? Because he made me do it. I gave him permission, of course. But instead of turning to Christ in a time of temptation, I followed what the devil was tempting me to do. He knows them all. Knows every one of them. For I'm conscious of my transgressions and I acknowledge them. My sin is ever before me. Now what am I going to do? I get tired of hearing him say, you remember you did this. You remember you did this. It's like a broken record. And it goes over and over and over. And it's discouraging. So what, what am I going to do with it? I'm going to follow the example of David. Because I know from reading the example of David that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I can confess to my God. And my God will freely forgive me. Do you know what the glory of God is? How many know what the glory of God is? If you don't know what the glory of God is, you're missing something. You know, Moses came along and he said to God, God, show me your glory. You remember that? And and God said, well, you you can't look at my full glory. I'll show you my backside. Show me your glory. And God said, I'm going to take and I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'll put my hand over you to protect you. And he says, and I will pass by. And as the Lord passed by, he declared the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, just, forgiving. Read that over there in Exodus. He announces all of his glory. The glory of God is the saving of souls. That's the glory of God. Everything works towards the saving of souls. God is not willing that anybody should perish. Every one of us should come to salvation. Right? No, you're wrong. It says every one of us should come to repentance. And when you get to repentance, then you're at the foot of the cross. And that's the highest place that you and I can get. And at the foot of the cross, we can look up into the face of our Savior and say, Please forgive me. And he looks down and says, I've forgiven all your iniquities and sins. Isn't that fabulous? Let's read on. Against you and you only have I sinned. Oh, I thought I I, uh, insulted that person over there and, and I sinned against them. Or I thought I sinned against Uriah by taking his wife. And I definitely sinned against him when I took his life. But David has it all clear. You see, Jesus makes it very plain. He says, inasmuch as you've done this unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Isn't that right? Against you and you only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and faultless in your judgment against you and you only. Who is it that knows all your sins? God. And every time you and I sin, we sin against God. Not against the person that, that might have been the, where we were aiming but against God. Against you and you only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and faultless in your judgment. The wages of sin is what? Death. That's the judgment of God. Is He certain in that judgment? Do you realize that if you never come to God and confess your sins, Never come to God in repentance. You have no future life. Life is in Jesus. And this is life eternal. That they may know Thee the only true God. And Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. Life is in Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. And we need to come to Jesus and confess our sins to Jesus. So that we can have life. And if we won't do it, if we won't humble ourselves to do that, then you, we have no future. And it is, it is not something that is past. Let me, let me diverse here for just a minute. I want to turn back here to that text that I quoted a few minutes ago, 1 John 1, nine. I want to read it to you. In all of its fullness. Because maybe some of you have never really heard the text before. If we freely admit that we have sinned. And confess our sins. Now do you have to be coerced into confessing your sins? It says freely. And if you don't do it freely it's not a real confession. And you may confess your faults one to another. And pray for one another as it says in the book of James. But you confess your sins to God and to God alone. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, He is faithful and just. He is true to His own nature and promises. And will forgive our sins. He will dismiss our lawlessness and continuously cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We get the idea sometimes that when we confess our sin, He cleanses that. And then we go on from there. No, 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 no. If Jesus isn't continuously cleansing us, we will not be ready. We won't be ready to enter into his kingdom. He has to continuously cleanse us. Why? Because we are continuously sinners. And continuously cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Everything not in conformity to his will in purpose, thought, and action. Back over to Psalms 51. Behold, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in a state of iniquity. My mother was sinful who conceived me, and I too am sinful. Behold, you desire truth in the inner being. Make me therefore to know your wisdom in my inmost heart. Purify me with the hyssop and I shall be ceremonially clean. Now how many of you would like to be ceremonially clean? Well, listen to the rest of the verse. Wash me and I shall in reality be whiter than snow. How many just want the ceremony? How many want to be whiter than snow? There's the difference. And it says, make me to hear joy and gladness and be satisfied. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Who broke the bones of the sinner? God. Why did he break the bones of the sinner? You've all heard the story, I'm sure. The shepherds in the days of Jesus. When they had an unruly lamb, they would take the lamb and break its leg. The lamb could no longer go anywhere on its own. Then the shepherd would take the lamb and carry it over his shoulders. He carried it everywhere. He would take it down to the stream and lay it down by the quiet water and let it drink. He would take it into the best grassy spot and feed it. He would rub oil the oil of gladness on the head of the lamb. He would rub oil on the broken leg. And he would carry that lamb everywhere. Until one day, the lamb fell in love with him. The shepherd knew that day, he could tell the signs. And when the lamb fell in love with the shepherd, then the shepherd put it back on the ground. And the lamb discovered that its leg was healed and it could walk. God, make me a lamb in your fold. Make me to hear joy and gladness and be satisfied Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Why why ask God to hide his face from your sins? Now Moses only saw the backside of God. Why didn't God show him the front side? Because the front side of God, if you read in the scriptures, says that he is a consuming fire to sin. A consuming fire. He burns up sin and everything is contained in there. So he says, hide your face from my sin. I want to ride on your coattails, God. That's your mercy. That's your glory. Saving of souls. And then starts this wonderful passage Create in me a clean heart, O God. Now, is there anybody here that needs to say that to God? Oh, wonderful. Only about five people. We have a fantastic congregation. Or we're in deep trouble. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right and persevering and steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Why? Why does David want God to do those things? Why does he want him to create in him a clean heart and renew a right persevering spirit in him and and cast him not away from his presence, but take not the Holy Spirit from him? And it says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Why? Because the next verse tells you why. Then I will teach transgressors your ways sinners shall be converted and returned to you. How many of you want to be doing the work of God and would like to see sinners coming to God and, and being converted and giving their sins to Jesus to take care of and then going on with joy and gladness and happiness in your life? If you want that, the way to get it is how? Confess your sins because God can do all this through you. What a tremendous thing God gives us a privilege of working with him as if we were God Christ in you the hope of glory let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus so it goes on then I will teach transgressors your ways sinners will be converted and return to you I like that they will be converted doesn't say maybe Doesn't say maybe. It goes on. Deliver me from blood, guiltiness, and death, O God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness, your righteousness, your justice. My tongue shall sing aloud. Now, how many of you would be willing to sing aloud? Probably good for the rest of us. Your tongue will sing aloud. Safe were the ninety and nine in the fold. Safe though the night was stormy and cold. But, said the shepherd, when counting them o'er, One sheep is missing, there should be one more. The shepherd went out to search for his sheep, and all through the night on that rocky steep, he sought till he found him. With love bands he bound him, and on. Was that one lost sheep? How many of you would like to sing for the Lord? And sinners will be converted and brought. God will give you a song. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed out of the hand of the enemy. We have to say so, because if Jesus is really in our hearts, we can't do anything else. And if your sins are really forgiven, then you know they're forgiven, because God's word says they're forgiven, then you have to tell somebody else. I I, I heard a story a little while ago, it's the second time I heard it, but it really impressed me the second time around. Probably by the third or fourth or fifth, I'm really going to get it story is about a young man who had a friend that fell off of a tractor and broke his back. And this young man determined that he was going to pray for this friend, even though he had just become a Christian himself. And he's going to pray for this friend that the next week, that accident happened on, on Thursday or Friday or somewhere along that, that come Monday at school, the man with the broken heart or the boy with the broken back, is going to be there. Pretty gutsy, wouldn't you say? For somebody who's just become a Christian? That boy's mother said, Son, where do you get this idea? And he says, Mom, look at all the promises in the Word. Look at all the promises. He had been reading the Word, and he knew the promises. And he says, I'm praying for my friend. And he's going to be at school on Monday. So Monday when he came to school, he started looking for his friend. He looked everywhere for his friend. And as he bumped into different people, have you seen this person? Have you seen this person? And, and we'll call him Bobby. Have you seen Bobby? Have you seen Bobby? And, and people say, oh, uh, uh, Bobby's down over there? And he said, I was praying for Bobby. Everybody in school knew that this person had been praying for the boy with the broken back. I'm praying for Bobby. So he, he keeps going along and he hears more and more of the story. And when he finds Bobby, he hears the whole story. they had taken x-rays of the broken back. And the doctor says, I don't understand this. The back is all healed. All the, bra- all the cracks and all the breaks in the back are healed. Amen. And that young boy said, Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I prayed for that. And it was testified throughout the whole school. Because... They had heard the one boy saying, I'm praying for Bobby to be here today, and he's going to be here. And then they, they hear Bobby saying, here I am. But you haven't heard the rest of the story. You know, like uh, that man on the radio used to say. Now for the rest of the story. The doctor said, only God can create a new back. Only God can heal a broken spine. Only God. And so Bobby was telling everybody, God healed me. And the other young boy was saying, I prayed for Bobby. I prayed for Bobby. God's going to heal him. You think there was a reformation and a revival going on after that? Absolutely. David goes on. For you delight not in sacrifice or else I would give it. You find no pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, the sacrifice acceptable to God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, broken down with sorrow for sin, humbly and thoroughly penitent. Such, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your pleasure to Zion. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, David says. Then will you delight in the sacrifices of righteousness, justice, and right, with burnt offerings and the whole burnt offering. Then bullocks will be offered upon your altar. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew within me a right spirit. Take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore unto me the joy of your salvation. David didn't come to the place where he could say that to God all of a sudden because the prophet Nathan had come in. David, from a young boy, had been building upon that foundation that his parents had put within him to trust his God for salvation. And David had continually appealed to God and had learned to appeal to God so that it came natural for David when he realized the terrible sin that he had done. A sin not against Bathsheba, a sin not against Uriah, but a sin against God, the creator of all. David was able to do that because he had something that all the rest of you can have. I want to read a story to you. One day, as I walked through the mall, I was pondering the end product of my life. Not really noticing the stores, I wandered along lost in thought. Why had my life turned out the way it had? Was there anything that I could do to change what I saw and didn't like in myself? Why couldn't I have more peace and assurance of the future life to come? I had been a follower of Jesus Christ for many years. I knew the scripture, the promises of God contained in it, but it seemed my life and the lives of those around me were always in constant turmoil. Suddenly I realized I had stopped in front of one store and was subconsciously admiring the merchandise displayed in the storefront. Walking in, I noticed the man behind the counter looked strangely familiar. And then it dawned on me. Are, are, are you Jesus? I asked. I am, he replied. What, what are you doing here in this store dressed up like a sales clerk? Why, I own this store. Jesus answered, do you like the merchandise you see here? We stock everything in the universe, except sin, of course. Looking around, I realized it was true. The store seemed to grow in size as I browsed from one aisle to another. Turning to Jesus, I asked, can I buy anything in this store? Certainly, Jesus said, just make a list, bring it to the front, and I'll fill it out for you. And so I did. All the good things I wanted in my life, and for my family and friends, and even for my neighbors, were there displayed. There were items there such as peace, and love, and forgiveness, and hope, that I knew the whole world could use right now. I wrote each item down on my list and finally returned to the counter. Handing the list to Jesus, he asked, is this all you need? "Hmm. I believe so. Is it too much? Oh, no, no, said Jesus. You may buy without money and price here. My father has paid the full price of each item. Here we are, Jesus cheerfully remarked as he handed me a large bag. Looking in the bag, I exclaimed in surprise, Why, these are all seed packets. Don't I get the finished product? Still smiling pleasantly, Jesus said, Oh, you see, this is a seed catalog store. I display the finished product so that you can see what you're buying. But what you start with is the seed. You take the seed home with you. You plant them where you want them to grow. You water and care for them. You give them plenty of S-O-N sunshine from above and love from your heart. They grow beautifully. Someday you will see a bountiful harvest from each seed you plant. And just think, if you are faithful and trust in me, I will give you all eternity to enjoy the fruit of your labor. Every person in this life has an opportunity to shop in Jesus' store. Each has the opportunity to plant the seeds in their heart that will blossom into the most beautiful life imaginable. But sadly, many see the work it takes to plant and water and carefully nurture the seeds as too hard and bothersome. They leave the store without ever having purchased a single item, and the emptiness and unhappiness of their lives show it. Shop carefully, friend, when you see the store. Remember the rule of life. That which you sow, you shall also reap. Galatians 6, 7. The seeds that Jesus give you, sow them today, and you'll reap an eternity of joy. Amen. David reaped that eternity of joy when God said, I have blotted out your sins like a thick cloud blots out the sun. Return unto me, for I have forgiven thee. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, today there's many of us that need to come to you we need to take, take it to heart to sit down in a quiet place and read David's example of how to repent and how to come to you for all of sin and come short of the glory of God and there's none good no not one So every one of us needs to come. Jesus, we pray that as we come, that our journey will be through them all and by your seed catalog store so that we can order the seeds that we need in our heart. Love, faith, peace. We ask for your blessings upon each one of us today. We thank you for those blessings. And may they multiply until they reach out to the whole world. And we have joy in our hearts as sinners are converted. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.